you need to have a unique understanding of where your buyers are looking and where they're being informed and where they're getting guidance, right? And so, you know, that includes the sort of blocking and tackling of, you know, what are they searching, when they search, what do they see, what's that first sort of wave content that they see, like all of that is still very much relevant. But I think what we're finding is digital discoverability also includes your very specific sources of influence that may be, that may relate only to your industry and or your market segment. You're listening to Sunny Side Up a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, David Bressler. And today I'm very excited to talk to Saber Sherrard on marketing is from Mars and sales is from Saturn. Perfect segue into an introduction of Saber. So Saber is the global B2B marketing capability leader and a leader in commercial excellence practices focusing on technology and industrial companies. He has an extensive experience in driving growth via integrated sales and marketing disciplines, including demand generation, pipeline management, and sales play design. Sabre recently led the go-to-market transformation, including a route to market design, sales play system install, and ABM program launch. He has a 15 plus years of consulting experience and currently works out of Bain's Dallas office. Well, Saber, after the introduction, I'm super excited to talk with you today and welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Quite the background that you have, and I'm really certain, I'm certainly excited to hear a lot about your role and some of the things that you've been working on. So let's get into some of the questions and ensure that we provide the listeners exactly what they're looking for. So first question I have for you, Saber, is there's a rising disconnect between sales and marketing. The larger the organization the more likely sales and marketing go to market on their own limited coordination. How do you feel that's playing out in today's market? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess, uh, you know, stepping back and sort of where you started the, the disconnect between marketing and sales, I mean, in, in many respects, that's like the oldest truism in, in B2B go to market, as, as I know you know, and that being, you know, marketing and sales not always on the same page. Um, and, uh, you know, what we found is there's, there's actually a number of ways um, sales and marketing can be disconnected. Um, so maybe worth being a little more precise. You know, I, we found is everything from sort of alignment or which accounts uh, to target, like whether it's for sales plays or, or even ABM efforts uh, to more tactical examples. Uh, right. So things like not aligned on the criteria we use for leads or the thresholds that you know, leads must score out to be sort of promoted to, to opportunities. And there's a whole lot in between those, those examples. You know, we actually did some research last year where we asked, there's over 300 uh, tech buyers and about the same number of B2B marketers and sellers. And ultimately the research was geared at understanding buying trends and then how well sales and marketers uh, were sort of keeping pace with, with those trends. And, you know, a couple of things came out from that work that I think is, is relevant to your uh, to what we're talking about. The first is that um, we found that only 50% of sellers actually believe marketing is strategically aligned with them, right? So not like some of the tactical stuff that I was talking about, but like, do they have big picture objective sort of alignment uh, with marketing and sales? Only half of them felt like that was the case. Um, and then maybe a little more specifically, we also found that less than 50% of sellers uh, believe marketing even track sales growth. Right. So not only not aligned to the strategic level, but not even using, uh, call it a sales based metric or a more integrated metric. But what's interesting is that 70 percent of marketers 
said they did, right? So half of the sellers are saying, hey, marketing doesn't even look at it. 70% of marketers are saying, no, we actually, we do track sales growth, right? So just an example of, you know, the, the, the two sort of critical go-to-market functions not always being on the same page, right? And so- Absolutely. And, and I certainly come across that all the time. And just one last piece to that question is, yeah. are, are businesses finding that that's keeping them from being able to expand their business with that dysfunctionality or disjointed segment between marketing and sales, or at least what you came across in your research? Yeah. I mean, both in the research and just our experience, I mean, the uh, it, it is limiting. It is a challenge. I mean, you can almost look at it the flip side. Like, what are the best companies? What are the highest performing go-to-market engines do, right? What? Are, how are they coordinating? And at the highest level, they're treating, you know, they're not treating sort of marketing and sales as two sort of silos or independent functions, but instead treating them as sort of two integral pieces to a high-performing go-to-market engine, right? So what does that mean in practice? Well, you know, from what we've seen in our clients, the ones that do this really well, they do things like make sure both marketing and sales personnel are part of pipeline reviews, right? Or part of, you know, regular sort of commercial reviews. Um, they get marketing and sales to align on the metrics by which they will use to measure progress. So the point I made a moment ago, you know, about sales growth, we actually think sales growth is a really good metric to get sales and marketing aligned on because it's an integrated metric, right? Versus something like the MQL, which I'm guessing we'll talk about here in a, in a, in a bit, which is a little more functional specific uh, metric. And then there are other things, right? Like everybody's doing some form of ABM, you know, those that have a, a well, uh, sort of a, a highly functioning marketing and sales engine, like they they spend time aligning together on which accounts they're going to target, right? And which sales plays they're going to run against those accounts and which campaigns marketing may run against those, those same accounts, right? And so there's a lot of examples. I mean, a tactical example, we had a client just a few weeks ago do a workshop with the sole intent where they had marketing and sales together. And the sole intent of the workshop was to be able to define the criteria each lead would have to satisfy to be promoted to a qualified opportunity, right? And so, you know, there, there's a lot of examples, but I think the the, the common sort of theme or thread um, is that they need to be together. They need to make a lot of sort of collaborative-based uh, decisions and or participate in, uh, you know, key go-to-market processes in a, in a collaborative fashion. No, that is, that is super helpful. And it kind of leads into this next question. And as we all know, the last couple of years have been quite interesting with everything going on and, you know, the workplace and and how marketing actually has evolved. So I guess my next question would be, so how does this situation, I guess, aggravate the problem considering tech buying itself has, you know, evolved past COVID? You know, how would you become, you know, the, how do you consider getting, you know, the first vendor to the door when the MQL is dead? Yeah. Yeah, good question, Dave. Well, first off, I think it it's based on where you started, and that is we have to acknowledge that buyers are more sort of digitally enabled than ever before, right? Or, or they self-nurture in a way that's ever that we've never that you know in, in ways that are new and more accelerated than than what we've seen in the past, and that has implications both to the sellers and marketers. And so, what does that mean in terms of digitally enabled or self-nurturing? What it means is you know buyers prefer to go deeper into the buying journey digitally than they used to. So, you know, again, I think this is something that was accelerated over COVID, but you know what it, you know they they want to be able to identify vendors establish the criteria that they want to use to to make a decision they want to be able to do comparisons want to be able to actually make decisions on who they buy in many cases all before they talk to anyone right you know including sales reps right and so you know there's actually a fair amount of research on this um, that we've done over the last year one bit showed that over 80 percent of buyers have actually set their specs before ever talking to a sales rep so basically determine what criteria 
they were going to use, right? So that's one one way of looking at it. You know, in the, in the research I mentioned earlier that we did uh, just a few months ago, we found that 94% of buyers consider themselves at least somewhat informed, if not fully informed, um, on their product or solution they're going to buy before they ever talk to a rep. And perhaps most interesting there, that's actually true for high dollar purchases. So we said, well, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe, you know, for the for the $10,000, $15,000 sort of subscription or, um, you know, software solution that I'll, I'll use for a year or so, you know, then, you know, yeah, I can do it all digitally. Well, actually, we found that that 95% or the 94% that I cited in terms of being somewhat informed, that held for buyers buying high dollar purchases, which we had defined as 250K or larger, right? So it's it's not sort of this ancillary trend. It's it's very real for, for all types of tech uh, tech purchases. No, some great points there. And, and one thing I wanted to touch on uh, as you were answering there is, you know, are you seeing those best in practice clients making a significant transformation to digital post COVID or in this COVID world that we're living in today? Yeah, I think, you know, yes, it, you know, the short answer is yes. I think everybody's, you know, making moves and spending money into digital. I think those that are sort of out ahead of what we're talking about and are particularly good at recognizing that sort of digital discovery, sort of this front end of the buying process that we've been talking about, um, to be able to do that well and to be able to be discovered, you have to be digitally relevant and compelling where your buyers are being influenced, right? And so that last part is super important. And that is, you know, you, you need to have a unique understanding of where your buyers are looking and where they're being informed and where they're getting guidance, right? And so, and that's, you know, that includes the sort of blocking and tackling of, you know, what are they searching when they search? What do they see? You know, what kind of what's that first sort of wave of content uh, that they see? Like all of that is still very much relevant. But I think what we're finding is digital discoverability also includes your know, very specific sources of influence that may be uh, that may relate only to your industry and or your uh, your market segment. So, for example, we had a client that was a marketing automation player where we did a lot of voice of the customer work for them. We found that, you know, a handful of review sites, so things like G2, for example, were having a disproportionate amount of influence on their buyers, right? And so what that meant for them is, hey, we need to be relevant and compelling there. In addition to sort of the blocking and tackling, that's a specific source of influence that uh, that we need to be compelling on, right? Another client that was targeting developers as a persona, right? Similar deal. They, had, they found out that their buyers were being disproportionately influenced on places like Hacker News and, and other... Um, sort of sources targeting that persona. And so again, it was like, okay, for our unique situation, for our unique buyers and personas that we're targeting, this is where I've got to be relevant and compelling. And so ultimately, what does this mean? You know, it means that marketers have to know not only who the personas are, obviously, and who the segments are that they're targeting, but those specific sources of influence that are shaping their buyer's perspective, uh, because it matters, right? In many cases, you know, the, the sales rep isn't getting a crack at, 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 uh, at the buyer's until they've already made a decision. So marketing really does need to sort of carry the water, so to speak, uh, maybe more so than they have before. No, these are, this is this is great. And uh, certainly all things that relate to how marketing is transforming uh, today. A couple minutes back ago, you mentioned that MQL word. So why don't we dive into that? So yeah. you see a lot of organizations moving from MQL to marketing qualified accounts. How would you kind of discuss that? And what are you seeing from a trend perspective with that today? Yeah, so I mean, I think... Admittedly, as we say, the marketing, you know, the MQL is dead. It's a little, maybe a little dramatic, but 
you know, mainly because I, I recognize that most marketers are going to continue to track and, and even get measured by MQLs going forward. And so, you know, that that part, I think, is is uh, is still consistent. However, you know, we do think that the MQL and how we think about it and, and use it needs to evolve. Right. And so more specifically, you know, in many cases, the, the notion of the MQL, you know, and what it means sort of historically is it captures some level of activity or engagement that a lead is, is engaged on you know, whether you intended a webinar or downloaded a, you know, white paper or whatever, I mean, you've reached some predetermined uh, scoring threshold, right? That then allows marketing to sort of throw it over the wall uh, for sales to run with. You know, we, we think that that's sort of a rote notion that, that no longer applies, right? Much of which, because of the integrated nature of sales and marketing um, and how they need to operate, which we've, we've, we've already discussed, right? Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a big driver. You know, yeah, um, yeah go ahead. No, I was going to say, you're, you're spot on, and uh, we hear this on a, on a very frequent basis of kind of the balancing act between MQA and MQL and how different organizations uh, have set their go-to-market strategies. So you certainly outlined that very well there, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead, Saber. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, it sort of resonates and um, certainly something our, our clients are wrestling with. But, you know, let's talk about the other side of the MQA, as, as you alluded to. And so, you know, the MQA, on, on the other hand, you know, almost by definition, it requires, because it's account-oriented, it requires more collaboration between marketing and sales. And so where we see this most um, is within our, you know, a lot of our clients are doing some version of ABM, right? Uh, which I know takes on its own set of sort of associations and connotations. But, um, you know, we do think, you know, uh, the the MQA as an account-based sort of um, metric and topic that requires that collaboration is, is more relevant. So, you know, maybe take it to a little bit more uh, specificity. And so we have a client that um, is, is actually had a fairly successful, has a fairly successful ABM program and they use MQA, MQA right? And as part of it, uh, and, and as part of this ABM effort, they together, sales and marketing together, you know, did, did the definition of the segment and the vertical and then ultimately the accounts they wanted to target. They define the sales play, the you know, related value prop and, and then marketing's role in that integral play or in that in that play, I should say. And, and you know, they had an integral sort of role and the specific campaign that in this case, it was vertically oriented campaign that they would target specific accounts with. Um, and then, of course, they define the individuals that they were targeting, et cetera. But anyway, as far as the MQA, MQA goes, it was much more relevant for them in this case to use that as the as the metric, as the sort of definition of engagement that both sales and marketing agreed on to be able to say, okay, at what point and at what level of sort of activity or engagement do we agree for this specific account? It makes sense for, for sales to engage on. So in that case, it was just, it made a whole lot more sense as a, uh, as a useful uh, metric than, than something like an MQL. I absolutely agree with you on that piece of the pie. Let's talk about the buying center because that's, you know, the, the buying committee has certainly expanded specifically in the enterprise space. So how would you, you know, discuss like the rise of the powerful cross-functional influencers and the importance of creating tailor-made content to engage with those influencers and nurture them along, not only through the funnel, but through the, the buying journey? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the most interesting, uh, both insights from some of the research that we've talked about, but just sort of developments sort of post-COVID. Right. Where, you know, I think particularly in tech buying, you some you know, your, your buying committees are so much more robust. You have junior people that are much more educated on um, and much more involved, uh, perhaps more importantly, in buying decisions than, than maybe we saw pre-COVID, whether that's because of 
the proliferation of virtual events, which frankly lowered the bar in many cases for, for who could attend or, or other reasons. Um, but this is a definite change, a definite dynamic sort of shift and, and that we saw beforehand or pre-COVID, I should say. And so maybe a couple of data points for you as, as we as we get into this one. You know, you know, I think, so we looked at, again, for tech buyers, just how many different functions are involved in the buying process, right? So we asked that. And what we found was um, over 50% of buyers involve five or more individuals across different functions, right? In their, in their, in their buys. And then I mentioned, we also looked at high dollar uh, buyers. Um, you know, what we found there is high purchase decisions. You might guess the number is even greater. So in high purchase decisions, the number goes to uh, almost two thirds of those decisions were made with five people or more. And almost, almost half of them involved eight people in, uh, in the, uh, in the purchase decision. And so, you know, as you said, like buying committees are growing. There's a lot more people involved. And, and I guess to be specific in tech, you know, cross-functional can mean obviously IT and finance is always involved, but, you know, procurement, even engineering, product, sometimes even sales. We're all sort of buying committees that we are, we are consistently seeing involved in the process. And so what does it mean? I mean, part of your question is what does it mean in terms of uh, content and engagement? Well, obviously it means that uh, for big opportunities, you know, we need to target broader cross-functional populations, right? But more importantly, we have to rest, recognize the disparate needs um, and what they're solving for from these different populations, right? And so, you know, so within the context of targeted content to your, to your question, we need to recognize that, you know, if we're doing one of those ABM campaigns that I talked a moment ago, where we've got, you know, a variety of cross-functional stakeholders, we need to recognize, you know, for, at, the, at, the, at the simple level, that you know the, the IT business partners, they're going to want to know and see how your solution performs better than comparable options, and maybe how it integrates with an existing tech stack or or whatever the uh, the infrastructure is that's that's relevant. Versus, say your finance stakeholders, you know they're going to want to see the ROI right on your on your solution. Is how to, and how does that compare uh, to uh, to comparable options? Whereas our product folks, I mean, product are, are going to want to see sort of feature functionality, right, that sets you apart. Now, I'm generalizing here a little bit, but I think you get the point that, you know, the, the, the content needs to sort of speak or be uh, tailored uh, to the unique sort of needs and, and uh, sort of problems that each of the different stakeholders across functions are going to be solving for. And, and would you say that the, the, the timing is, is very important as a part of when they're seeing that content? And how you're kind of sharing that um, that sales cycle with them, or the or how you want to drive them through that journey? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the timing does matter. I mean, as as we as we talked about a little earlier, a lot of this, I mean, buyers are going really deep into the buying journey digitally, right? Where you just don't have as much ability to steer them, at least via sort of a direct sort of rep or or uh, or BDR, whatever the case may be. And so that sort of functional specific, industry relevant content needs to be accessible pretty early in the journey, right? Um, because that's when uh, decisions are being made and opinion, certainly opinions are being formed, criteria is being set. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, I think clearly getting, getting that content available early in the cycle, maybe even early than we have before, is, is, makes a whole lot of sense. And the last point I just want to touch on because you spent a few minutes on it, um, when would you say that you started to see a significant increase in the actual buying committees uh, within organizations? Well, you know, we, we didn't do longitudinal sort of research on it, so I can't compare the study we did over the last few months with sort of a comparable one two, three, two, three years ago. But what I can say, we did do something similar pre-COVID, it's called mid-2019, and there's a material growth 
in number of people involved, number of cross-functional people involved in a buying decision between those two data points. So call it over, over two years, right? You know, so that's the data. But anecdotally, from what I've seen in my clients, I think it resonates, right? It, it resonates in that, you know, people just have, they're involving more and more people in big decisions across functions. And it's not the standard just sort of, well, procurement has to be involved and IT is involved because we've got to integrate it, you know, and, and finance is involved because they're they're ultimately going to approve the budget or not. It's, you know, it's, they're engineering people, they're product people involved and such. And so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty pervasive and something uh, I think we've seen pretty consistently. Super, super helpful so far, Saber. This has been great. A couple of last questions and we'll let you wrap up the rest of your day, but uh, is there a specific book or blog or any newsletters, maybe a potential website or video that you would recommend to the listeners that are really interested in these specific sales and marketing and, and ABM topics? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of good stuff out there. I mean, honestly, we have a lot. We are sort of Bain's B2B marketing uh, practice has done a lot of a lot of research that I've cited or broader commercial excellence, which encompasses both go-to-market and uh, or sales and, and, and marketing. There's a lot available on sort of Bain.com and whatever. So I've got, forgive me, I've got to give that plug. But, you know, beyond that, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I mean, I, I think for me, the top of the list, probably Scott Brinker and, you know, a lot of the thought leadership he does, whether it's blogs and, and, and otherwise, I think is sort of must reading for anybody uh, uh, B2B marketing oriented. You know, honestly, as I was thinking about our time, the, the ABM book that that Peter and Jessica, you know, did a few years ago, I thought it was frankly a little bit of ahead of its time, you know. So, I mean, you, I, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with it, David. It's probably mandatory yeah, reading absolutely. for you. I have it. I have it pretty close to me on the left hand side. Yeah, hands. I believe it. But I thought it was really good. I mean, ABM is a very loosely used term, and everybody's doing some version of it. We could do a whole show on on that. But I think you know, it was it was a very good take on uh, sort of the discipline and the sort of clear sort of how to on effective ABM. Um, that I think a lot of it still very much applies, right? So those are a couple of sort of top of mind. Yeah, and absolutely. There's another brand new book. There's a, a, a GTM book that has just been released from one of the executives here at Demand Based, John Miller. And I will certainly get that over to you for you to take a look at that as well. You briefly mentioned uh, Scott Brinker. I guess my, my one of my last questions is, like, is there anybody else that's in the B2B tech space who leads go-to-market or data science teams that you would recommend that you know we bring on this specific show and, and do a podcast with that is a thought leader like yourself? Yeah, there's, there, there's a number of, of folks. I guess a couple that I'd, I'd cite. So Rishi Dave, he's a partner at, at Bain, but serial sort of CMO. So CMO at, at Mongo, at Vonage, at DNB, is, uh, has been a B2B CMO for, I think, 20-ish years. Uh, absolute thought leader, I think someone that uh, someone that I think you really enjoy talking to. He, he comes to mind. I don't know if you've talked to Norman Guardano. Um, he's, uh, again, multiple-time B2B CMO. He was at uh, CMO of, uh, of Acoustic, which is a marketing automation player a couple of years ago. I think he's the CEO of Norbella right now. Really thoughtful on both managing and creating a brand, but also does the campaign execution sort of do's and don'ts really well. I, mean, I think my experience is, you know, those are those are two strengths that don't always go hand in hand. So those are a couple uh, top of mind for sure. Well, I'll definitely look into those individuals and, and see if our team has met with them. But I, I certainly appreciate that. I guess the last question I have, and, and possibly one of the most important ones of this podcast, is you know how do people get connected with you after the podcast? You're certainly someone that is could be very valuable to an organization, and we certainly want to give you the platform and opportunity for people to be able to connect with you. So, is there a way specifically that you'd like people to reach out? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, there's a few easy ways. You know, I've got a page on Bain.com. You type in Saber. There aren't a lot of us. <laughs> Bain. That's a pretty easy way to get to me. Uh, same on LinkedIn, Saber Schroed. 
and then direct email is always always works as well at bain.com but any of those any of those will be able to get to me pretty pretty easily well saber this has been absolutely fantastic certainly informational and educational for all of us here on the demand based team but secondly most importantly for all of the folks that are going to be listening to this podcast in the near future so once again thank you so much for your time really enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. I enjoyed it. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.